We'll turn again, if you will, to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. And today we'll continue with verses 13 to 16. Malachi 2, 13 to 16. We've said all along, I think most every week, that Malachi is a great uh, message of God for all those waiting periods of history, the times between God doing great things in the past, but when it seems his promises for the future seem a long ways off. Malachi lived in one of those kinds of times, 400 years before the birth of Jesus. The book of Judges was also an account of one of those waiting periods in history. As we read through all of the strange stories of the book of Judges, we find that typical of that whole age was something that's typical of the waiting periods of history, that everybody did whatever was right in his own eyes. People just did their own thing. That's what happens in the waiting periods. We lose our sense of direction. And we begin to do whatever we please. So as we talk in the book of Malachi, it applied to what kind of leadership there was. We saw that. And then last week we saw people just doing whatever they please in regard to marriage. Marrying whomever they please, quite apart from what God has to say, what God, what's consistent with the principles that he's given us. Well, that's where we are today in that same subject, only today it's not just who you marry, but it is how long you stay and how you make the marriage work. Again, uh, a problem in a culture that does whatever we please, yet here God has something to say about what he pleases for our marriages. Well, let me read it, verses 13 uh, to 16 of uh, Malachi chapter 2. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with your wife. There's really one clear theme of these verses. Uh, however we want to say it, don't betray your spouse. Don't betray your spouse. That's the theme. There's probably no stronger, more pointed text about marriage in the whole Bible than this one. And the major point here is, you dare not betray your wife or your husband. 
Actually, the expression used is to break faith with your wife. It's used three times in this text, in verse 14, again in verse 15, and again in verse 16. Now, everybody breaks faith in our culture. In every marriage, people are breaking faith. They're betraying one another. It's so common. Hey, it's the 90s. Hey, we're men, you know. And God says, stop. I have a whole different notion about how your marriage should work. Do not betray one another. Now, why not? Well, he gives us three reasons, and those will be our three points as we unpack this one theme. Three reasons why God says we dare not betray our spouse. The first is this, do not betray your spouse, for God guards your marriage vows. Do not betray your spouse, for God guards your marriage vows. You know, Malachi would have been an interesting pastoral counselor. Uh, you come to him and uh, you say, Pastor Malachi, well, I'm just having a terrible time in my relationship to the Lord. I, I pray and it seems like the heavens are made of brass and I've been coming to church diligently and I've been trying to understand everything and I've been doing all the right things and, uh, and yet uh, it just seems like that God is far off and he doesn't care anymore and, and he's, he's ignoring me. And Malachi says this, how are things at home with your wife? And he says, Pastor, I don't have time to talk about that right now. I've got a real problem. I mean, it seems like God is far, far away. And Malachi says, uh, no, I'm serious. How are things at home with your wife? He said, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't have time to talk about my wife. My problem is with God. And Malachi says, no, my son, your problem with God is your problem with your wife. You have broken faith. You have betrayed her. And that destroys your relationship to me, God says. Here's that principle that we learned last week in, back in verse 10. This principle of family solidarity. There is a family solidarity between the father and his children. And therefore between his children and one another. And it's all one thing. You can't break faith with one another without breaking faith with the Father. That certainly has got to be true in this closest of all covenant relationships between Christians, a home, a family, a marriage. You see, God guards marriages. He guards those marriage vows. He remembers what we said, and he acts accordingly, whether we do or not. Marriage, by definition, is a covenant. It's a covenant that's patterned on our covenant with God and his covenant with us. It's, it's not just a matter of convenience. It's a matter of commitment, persistence. Remember the wedding vows? For better or worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health, forsaking all others and keeping myself only unto you as long as we both shall live. God remembers that. 
That was designed to reflect his commitment to his bride, the church. So it's impossible for us to violate those vows without smudging the picture, the, the reality of which our marriage is a picture. That is God's covenant with us. Or to apply this a little different way, if you married a Christian, she's God's daughter. You must answer to her father. So fathers, how would you feel? If some guy came along and married your daughter and then betrayed her, didn't love her, didn't cherish her, didn't provide for her, didn't remain true to her like he had promised. Instead, he was always too busy. He was always out with the guys. He was always doing his own thing. He always had other things more important. He tended to be harsh and impatient with her. He acted overbearing, rude and inconsiderate toward her. What if you saw him running around with other women? or even talking like he would like to if he could just get away from the old lady, your dear daughter. Fathers, how do you feel? How would you feel about your little girl's welfare? Or, or to push the illustration a little farther, suppose your son-in-law works for you and you see all this happening on the job, all unbeknownst to your daughter, his wife. And then imagine that he comes to you and he asks for a raise. Because after all, he's family. You're the father-in-law. He has a special relationship. He ought to have certain favor. Oh, do you see the point? There is a special relationship, all right. One that would benefit him greatly for he is family. Except that if he betrays your daughter, that special relationship becomes his biggest problem. For he can't betray your daughter without having trouble with his boss. Don't you hate this? We want so much to say that what happens at home in our relationships, in our marriage, uh, in our relationship with our husband or wife, has nothing to do with my career. It has nothing to do with uh, how I am as a person. It has nothing to do with my life in the world. It has nothing to do with my relationship to God. It has nothing to do with his blessing on me. It has nothing to do with my prayers, with my church. It has nothing to do, that's kind of a private thing. And God says, oh, no, it's not. I'm the witness to your marriage vow. That's what verse 13 and 14 say. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? And God answers, it is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her. Don't betray your marriage. God is a witness. Second reason that we need to keep faith with our wife or husband 
is that God cares about his covenant children. Don't betray your spouse because God cares about covenant children. Verse 15 is kind of a difficult verse, uh, and you can read books and it will tell you all the problems in trying to translate it, but, but the point of it is pretty clear. It talks about the oneness of God's plan, that God's plan is one man and one woman united as one for life. That's God's plan. And so it, uh, it, 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 it talks about that, whatever all the translators' problems are. Let me just read it, verse 15. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. God cares about the covenant children that come out of a marriage. He wants godly offspring. You see, our children are not just biological occurrences. Our children are not just uh, the result of our breeding to propagate the species or whatever kind of thing we might say. Our, our, our children are being created, have been created in the image of God through their solidarity with their parents. They have been given by the Lord. They are gifts from his hand, a heritage from him, to be trained to reflect his glory as his image bearer. And out of the oneness of their, their, their parents' marriage, they are to learn the oneness of who God is, though he is Father, Son, and Spirit, the unity and diversity, they are to be trained in godliness that their lives might be praised to God. God has quite a plan for your children that's associated with your marriage. Now, in the thick of the problems of marriage, we have all heard someone say, well, you know, we just realized that the only thing that was holding us together anymore was the kids, and that's just not reason enough to stay married. Oh, yeah? God says, yes, it is. That's not the only reason, but that's reason enough. Because God is concerned about those covenant children. Dr. James Boyce says in a in, in book on this, he says, we live in a day of human rights. Everyone is fighting for his or her rights, so it seems. Even divorcing persons fight for their supposed rights to be happy. But what about the children? I maintain that they also have rights, a right to a mother and a father, a right to a stable home environment, a right to have an actualized biblical model of what a God-blessed home looks like, and divorce deprives them of that and often leads them into self-destructive life patterns. Need a reason to not betray your wife, your husband? Because God cares about your covenant children. There's a powerful picture here if you think about it. Here in this discussion of the children of the family of God's people, the children of God's children, 
God is cast into the role of the grandfather. The grandfather. A couple of weeks ago, we had a grandfather here. Tracy Nichols' father. Now, I asked him if I could talk to them, uh, talk about them a minute, so it's okay. Don't get afraid. Maybe I talk about you without asking. I asked them already. Let's suppose that uh, Rich and Tracy start having some problems in a marriage. Let's suppose that Rich begins to break faith with his wife. Or that Tracy says, I'm tired of living with this guy. I'm going to do my own thing. They begin to break faith. Poor little Jessica and little Rich. For they have no one who cares about them. They have no one who would dare to challenge their daddy to love their mommy or challenge their mom to be subject to their dad. They're totally at the mercy of the situation, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Not if you were here two weeks ago. There is no doubt in my mind. Could there be any doubt in our mind that Charlie Snyder would be on the next plane up here to talk to his son-in-law or his daughter if there was problems? Does little Jessica not have a champion in that godly grandfather? And let me tell you, if that is true, it is infinitely more true that your covenant children have a champion in their godly, heavenly grandfather. You cannot break faith in your marriage without setting yourself against the grandfather of your children. You teach your children when they're little to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You break faith with their mom, with their dad, and that truth will come back to haunt you, for Jesus does love them, and he will not sit still and watch you destroy your home. In fact, Jesus says it would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown in the ocean than that you cause one of these little ones to stumble. God cares about those covenant children. Don't break faith with your spouse. Well, one more reason not to break faith. Thirdly, God hates the devastation of divorce. God hates the devastation of divorce. There's a myth floating around in our culture that divorce is no big deal. It's just a little le legal red tape that stands between you and all these problems and the blissful freedom out there. God says that's not true. That's an illusion. It's not the way it is. Look at verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. 
When we lived in New Jersey, we often bought meat at a little neighborhood butcher shop. Don't see many of those anymore. You'd go in and the man would be back there, the butcher would be back there with his white clothes and his white apron and he'd be cutting on the butcher's block and his apron would be just covered with stains of blood from all the meat that he had been cutting and that's quaint and kind of old-fashioned and it was nice. But if you come up to a crime scene and you see someone covered with blood on their clothes, it probably will make you sick because of the violence and the pain and the misery and the injustice and the hurt that it represents. But here God says that in a divorce, you cover yourself with blood like that. It's like your clothes are dripping in the blood of the marriage. We have a lot of divorced people in the chapel, and I suspect every one of you know what God's talking about. There's nothing pretty about divorce. Even the so-called no-fault divorces. Divorce means hurt, Anger, pain, bitterness, rage, loneliness, guilt, confusion, insult, inadequacy, disillusionment, hopelessness, disorientation, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of revenge, profound sadness, profound despair. It's a bloody business. At a chaplain's conference, I heard a man named Dr. Robert Burns speaking, and he suggested that when one marriage partner begins to consider divorce, one of the most helpful, helpful things might be to get him or her together with someone who has actually just been through it. Because it would allow the fantasy of easy freedom be brought down to reality. Here God equates divorce with violence. And he says, I hate it. I hate it. And I know this isn't all the Bible has to say about divorce. But this is the biggest, most profound thing the Bible has to say about divorce. God hates it. You can't get around that. You say, well, we're going to have a nice, clean divorce. We'll part friends. God says, no. You'll part with blood dripping from your hands, for you have killed this marriage. Even if you conspired together to do it. It's a bloody mess. I hate it, God says. Don't break faith with your spouse. Two things I want to say as we close. Breaking faith, betrayal, doesn't begin with filing for divorce. 
betrayal is breaking faith in the vows that you made, giving less than you vowed to give. That starts a long time before there's a divorce. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the mind. It's the subtle dulling of commitment. It's the little forays, even in joking around, outside the exclusiveness of the marriage bounds. All of that is breaking faith already with your wife, your husband. God will not stand still for it. When you stood before him and took vows, he is the witness. Maybe he didn't sign the paper, but he's the witness. When you had children that he gave you, he is their protector. And he hates the betrayal of marriage vows. The other thing I want to say is that I know that many people have walked down this road already. There's already betrayal here in many of us. Little bits, big bits, massive betrayal. Now what do we do? What do we do in light of such hard things from the Lord? This morning I call you to repent, to turn around. And as you do, I proclaim to you that there really is forgiveness and there really is restoration and there really is renewal in the Lord Jesus. Yes, trust takes a long time to rebuild. Yes, old habits are hard to break. Yes, memories cannot be wiped from the conscience uh, on command. And yet God's grace is sufficient to deal with all of these things. And so we run to him for cleansing. We confess our sin with confidence that he forgives. And we call upon him and we trust him day by day, moment by moment, to give us grace to walk in faithfulness. As totally unable as we may feel to be to do that. I proclaim to you the good news that though you are not able to keep faith perfectly, there is one who has. You may have betrayed your wife, but he faithfully pursued loving his wife all the way to dying on the cross that we might be saved. He understands this struggle. He is able to help us to not break faith with our spouse. Amen. Oh, dear Father, when we read what you say in your word here, we realize that it is totally out of touch with what everybody believes in the world around us. Oh, God, give us grace to think like you think rather than to think like the world thinks. Father, it would be easier for us to just cave in and adopt the world's thinking for 
the minute that we take you seriously, every married person feels the weight of the guilt and the condemnation for we've all broken our broken faith in little ways or big. So Lord, deliver us from taking the easy way and just disregarding you. Give us grace for faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Give us grace to mirror in our home that faithfulness. Lord, recall to our minds these things that show your deep concern for our homes. Oh, Lord, we cry out to you for our homes. We pray that you would build them strong, that you would help us. For Jesus' sake, amen.